You are listening to the To Faithful Men podcast. To Faithful Men is a project that started in 2006 to digitize and preserve old sermon and study tapes of Elder Wally Flanagan, Elder Hassel Wallace, and Elder Mike Strevel. They were pastors and teachers, and they studied to teach and train up others to continue in the ways of truth. I am thankful to be able to provide you with these sermons and studies, and I hope they will be a blessing to you. Let's look in the scriptures together this morning to the seventh chapter of the book of Luke. Luke chapter 7, and we'll begin reading verse 36. Here's a parable that Jesus taught in the context of it on, on love and forgiveness and service. I'd like to title this message, Loving God. You know, we uh, challenged the church this past Wednesday evening to memorize together Psalm 63. Brother Thomas preached from the first few verses of uh, Psalm 63 on the subject of drawing near to God. And uh, a powerful psalm on, on the subject of, of feeling close to God, drawing near to God. And uh, <clears throat> so we're going to recite the first five verses Wednesday night. And I hope everybody will be not just working on memorizing that, but I hope that it will be a source of some sweet meditations for you as you think about the goodness of the Lord and the grace of God and the glory of God. When I hear a woman who has drawn near to the Lord, I mean, she's really drawn near to the Lord in a way that you and I want to draw near to Christ. If... When we think aright, when we think well, this is where we want to be, and this is what we want to do. There's a great lesson here for us. May God bless us to glean it this morning. Luke chapter 7, we'll start reading verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired Jesus that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. Behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought in an alabaster box of ointment, <clears throat> and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, but she is a sinner. Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. <clears throat> and he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed him five hundred pence, and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into your thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. 
but she has washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in has not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgives sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Here we have the short parable of the two debtors. A man who loaned money, a banker, a creditor, um, had two debtors. One of them owed him 500 pence. One of them owed him 50. Neither of them had anything with which to pay. So, he frankly forgave them both. Now, a pence, a penny, is a day's wage. So, we might put this parable in some kind of perspective by, by saying that one man owed him the amount of money he made in, in a two-year period of time. As you can see, that's, that's quite a sum of money. Every, every dollar you earned in a period of close to two years was what was owed. The other man owed 50. He owed pretty much what you'd make in two months. Now, if I owed somebody what I made in two months, and he just frankly forgave me, I'd be glad. But, you know, that's kind of doable. Two months wages, uh, the price of a fairly decent used car, I suppose. But if I owed two years of wages, the cost of a modest house in our day perhaps, and he said, hey, just forget about it, then I'd be, I'd be exceedingly glad. Because that's also perhaps doable, but neither of these people had anything with which to give, with which to pay. Now, in the day in which we live, this would not perhaps seem so formidable because, you know, if we just absolutely came into some sort of, of uh, disaster financially, well, we could just declare bankruptcy and, and somebody, some judge would say, well, you don't have to pay that. Well, we'd be glad, but back in those days, if you didn't pay your debts, they could sell you, sell everything that you had, and and make you a slave. And people did that regularly. It was not an uncommon thing to do. So to be released from a debt that they had no ability to pay would be a, a great thing. So Jesus told this simple parable to Simon, this Pharisee here, about these two who had a debt, neither of whom could pay the debt. For all of you grammar grammarians who are wincing out here at the most, I suppose that's kind of a King James something or another, uh, which of them will love him more, we would say, and, and I, know, I know all the young people caught that first thing. But uh, which, which would love him more? The one who had been forgiven two years, wages of debt, or two months? wages of, of debt. Well, the Pharisee 
said, well, I suppose the one who had been forgiven more would love more. And Jesus said, you have, you have well answered. Now, this, par- this parable takes on some real significant meaning for us when we consider it in its context. Jesus made a comment here that gave all my Calvinistic commentators a little bit of a trouble. He says, I say unto you, verse 47, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. She was forgiven, for she loved much. Well, I don't see a terrible problem here. I only see, I only see a relationship here. The preposition for uh, is, is a very slippery word in the original. It can mean because, and that could be taken. She, she was forgiven because she loved much. Well, that was problematic because it sounded like that, that the forgiveness was in response to her love. But we know that's not true because the Bible tells us in no uncertain terms that if we love Him, it is because He first loved us. No, it says that her, her love was in relation to the forgiveness of sins. Now, there seems to be now some comparison that Jesus has made between these two debtors and the woman in Simon, the Pharisee. She is described here as being a woman who is a sinner. Now, that term is commonly used in two ways in the Scripture. In one way, it describes all men. Indeed, all men by nature are sinners. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the Bible also uses the word sinner to describe uh, an active, as it were, notorious, um, overt, gross sinner. And we find some difficulty in distinguishing all of that because we find ourselves kind of with all of the above at times. But this woman was apparently a prostitute. She was a notorious woman. And in this, and in this culture, in this time, it would probably be the case. There are two other episodes in the Scriptures of women who came and did the same thing at Jesus' feet. One of them was Mary, the sister of Lazarus. She came and did something similar to this. Um, it is not the same episode. The Bible also tells of another woman who came, a Mary Magdalene, who was also a great sinner, out of whom Jesus had cast seven devils. Whether or not these are three different women, we know at least there are two. This, we know there's Mary Magdalene did it, and we know that Mary, the mother of Mary, the the sister of Lazarus, did it. Um, and this woman may have been the Mary Magdalene. This was just Luke's account of of, of Mary Magdalene's um, episode of coming. Uh, the problem is the the uh, with that is the the surroundings don't seem to quite fit, so it doesn't exactly matter. But the point of it is this. You know, you think about people who are great sinners. And not just people. You know, when you think of people who are great sinners, you think about people who have great problems. Sin and problems just go hand in hand. I don't care what the sin is. Sin and problems go hand in hand. And you know, I can't imagine. I, 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 really, I really kind of thought about this. I, I, I don't think I could imagine a more pitiable life than the life of a prostitute. 
it is it is sad, hateful, um, sick, sick kind of a life to live. And um, that's that's what that's what about the only thing that feminists and I have in con- common is is our utter abhorrence for pornography because they exploit poor, stupid girls. Um, so this this woman's in bad shape. She's a sinner. She's a notorious sinner, such as I suppose in a town uh, in these days would be a common knowledge that this this woman had this problem. This woman was involved in this sin. And so when she comes into Simon's house and and they are reclining there in the Eastern fashion uh, at at the table to eat, this woman comes in and and begin and falls at Jesus' feet. As he, as he lies on this couch here, their heads are kind of towards this table that's on the, a low table on the floor there, and they, they recline their feet behind them. They take off their shoes. But, but Simon here has given them no water with which to wash his feet, so Jesus' feet are not clean when the woman comes in. But that, that doesn't matter to her that his, what shape his feet are in. She just knows that she is in a position of great neediness and she has fallen at this man's feet. Now that's a common thing to do. To fall at the feet of one who, to whom you have a great application. There's something you desperately want and you would not, you would not uh, think it beneath you to fall at the feet of someone who had the ability to do something that you desperately needed done. It commonly happened all through the Scriptures. Uh, to, to just collapse at someone's feet. Um, it would be it would be so today. Someone who who uh, had the ability to show some mercy or something that you would just be so overwhelmed with your need that you'd be willing to fall at their feet. But this woman goes somewhat beyond that. Not only does she fall at his feet, she occupies the place of a servant. Number one, because the servant stood at the feet of those who who supped at the table. But even more than that, she begins to weep so profusely on Jesus' feet that they, they become very wet with her tears and, and her hair is, is cascading down, no doubt, and she begins to wipe the tears off His feet. She kisses His feet. She's, she has this expensive perfume that she pours on His feet and, and, and rubs on, onto His feet. All of this is just the, 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 uh, the acceptance of the lowest place that you could possibly um, attain from someone from whom you need something or perhaps someone to whom you would show some exceeding gratitude. Like old Friday, I'm always loved, loved to tell about, you know, when Robinson Crusoe saved his life from the cannibal, fell at Robinson Crusoe's feet, picked up his foot and placed it upon his neck, which said, I'm, I owe you my life. I'm yours. I'm your servant. I'm your slave. Uh, do with me as you will. I owe you everything. All of these things are in this this gesture that this woman performs here. And when Simon sees it, he thinks, I love this, he thinks within himself, huh, if this man were a prophet, he wouldn't let this woman touch his feet that. Not in a public place anyway. And I love the verse here. It says, 
Jesus answered him as if he had verbalized his thoughts. And he might as well have because Jesus knew the thoughts of all. He knew the hearts of men. It says that at times that's why he would not reveal himself to them because he knew what was in their hearts. He would not, he would not show himself fully to them because he knew that they were not serious about, about serving the Lord. He answered him by this parable. Now, there's an element to this parable that I think is particularly needful for us today. Because as I look out over this congregation, I see a people who are not notorious sinners. I mean, we're all sinners. We're all sinners in the, in the classical sense of the word. We're all sinners. But I trust that none of us is, is a notorious sinner. None of us is a prostitute. None of us is a drunkard. None of us is beating our wives. None of us is abusing our children. None of us is, is uh, gambling away all of our, our substance and our children starving in the streets. Uh, none of us is, is uh, gone off some deep end on some gross, terrible, visible, public sin. And we all thank God for that. Because, because we, we, must, we must confess what the Scripture says, that if, if, a man, if any man thinks that he stands, he better take heed lest he fall. I do not use those words and describe those people because I think that I am somehow intrinsically better than they. Indeed, no. I, I know that in, in my heart, as Paul said, confessed in, in Romans chapter 7, he says, in myself, that is, in my flesh, there dwells no good thing. And Paul even went so far as to say that he had a great fear that lest after he had preached to others, he himself might become cast away, just put on a shelf and made not useful to God because of some sin. We think of men like David who committed gross sins, and, and we, we know that we're not above any of those things. So in some sense, we're more like Simon. In some sense, we are more like the one who owes the two months' wages rather than the two years' wages. But I want you to notice something about this parable that I think is extremely important for proper understanding of it. And especially in the context of this ancient culture, which if you owed a dollar and you didn't pay it, you could be absolutely ruined for life. You could be sold. Your family could be sold. It would not be considered an improper thing or a, a, a wrong thing to... To, to do this, it was the common way that it was done. Even on up into more modern times with debtor's prison. People who refused to pay their debts or couldn't pay their debts or wouldn't pay their debts or whatever were put into these debtor's prisons, which is totally counterproductive because then you've lost the means of earning anything. Now, while I hope it is true that none of us is, is a notorious sinner in the way the Scriptures use the word sinner, this woman was a sinner we are all in a desperate need. Simon's need was just as real and just as desperate as this woman's for this reason. There is none of us 
who is not a sinner in the sense of the word, we all miss the mark. Just like Simon. Even, even to the point of all of these people I've just named, prostitutes and the drunks and the gamblers and the, and the abusers and, and all of that kind of thing, you know, we, we would tend to kind of despise them and look down our noses at them. And certainly the behavior is abominable and should never be tolerated by, by a culture. None of those things should be, should be tolerated by culture, by governments. All of them, instead of being promoted, as, as more and more that's happening in the day in which we live, they should, they should be, for the protection of the citizens, squelched. But when you stop and think about things like anger and bitterness, and gossip and unforgiveness, envy, strife, the kind of things that hit pretty close to home to all of us along the way, the kind of things that every one of us struggles with along the way in our lives, daily things, hateful thoughts, hateful words, careless carelessness in the kingdom of God, uh, prayerlessness, coldness of heart, all of the things that, that indicate that, that there's something amiss, something wrong, something seriously wrong. And the fact of the matter is, whether, whether you owe 500 pence or 50 pence, if you absolutely have naught with which to pay, are they not both in the final analysis in, in about the same boat? And is their need not really just as great? And not the man who owes 50, 50 pence, 50 days wages, in the same sad state as the man who owes two years' wages if neither of them have with which to pay. The Bible tells us that man by nature is lost, helpless, hopeless, without God, without hope in the world. He, he is bankrupt He's destitute with regard to spiritual things. Does not Isaiah, our righteousnesses are but filthy rags in the presence of God and in the sight of God? Aren't, aren't even the best of our duties tainted by, by sin? The best of our duties, here we are dressed up on Sunday morning and come to church. But even, even that often we find is tainted by sin. Do we not often have to confess that we sing the songs but there's no heart in the song? There's, we hear words from the preachers, but there's no piercing of the heart. We, we bow our heads to pray, but there's nothing that ascends from our hearts before God. And sometimes we go out from here just as cold and empty as we came in. Do we not sometimes confess that that's our, that that's our situation and that's our case, which is sin before God? Because the Bible tells us that when we enter into the worship of God with praise and thanksgiving in a heart, that's been prepared by God, God will warm that heart. God will fill that heart. If the preacher doesn't preach a lick, if the singing is pitiful, if the prayers are but minuscule, yet a heart that's entered into the worship of God with a heart of praise to God can always come away with something from the hand of a gracious God. And you see, we find ourselves then dealing with our own petty, pettiness 
our own our own uh, our own sinfulness in in ways that are less notorious than perhaps this woman's was. But oh, what the need is so great! Now, Jesus said to Simon, "I came here and." You didn't give me a kiss, which was a common Eastern greeting of your friends. You would kiss kiss them on the cheek. You didn't even give me water to wash my feet with. That's that's almost an insult to sit at, to, to lie here at the table with unwashed feet. It, it it says to Simon that you know you're not honored. You're here, but you're not really honored. He didn't give him any uh, ointment to anoint his head. The ointment was uh, often in lieu of a bath, which they were not accustomed to taking a great many of. And so when you come to the table, you want pleasant smells about you. And so they would give each other perfume. And the perfume would <coughs> be the overwhelming uh, fragrance that would fill the air. It was a sign of respect and a sign of glad you're here. And, and we're not wanting to just get this over with as soon as possible. And who knows exactly what this what this man wanted from Jesus, what he wanted to hear from Jesus, why it invited him in. Does it seem to be any great sincerity here? But he says, Simon, look at this woman. I know she's a sinner. I know she's sinned grievously. She has a great debt. But look at her. She's she's been weeping on my feet. Doing these menial, humiliating kinds of things to to acknowledge that she has a great need. She's anointed my feet with oil. She's kissed my feet. Simon, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Now, by implication, Simon's sins, which are relatively few in the sense of notoriousness, I suppose, are not forgiven. She loves much because she was forgiven much. I think that's the case in our lives that we don't love God in order to receive the forgiveness of sins. But when we feel our sins forgiven, and the degree the degree to which we feel our sins forgiven will be the degree to which we love. Will be the degree to which we honor God, to be the degree to which we serve Him and, and respect Him. That'll be the degree to which we do the common things of religion. If we love Him much, will we, will we not come into His presence with thanksgiving? Would we not enter into His courts with singing? Would we not come into the public worship of God and, and have it so that we could say in desire of God what David did in that Psalm 63. He said, he said, He desired to see Thy glory and Thy power so as I have seen Thee in the sanctuary. He says, I have seen your power and glory in the sanctuary. I want to see that every day of my life. I want to feel that every day of my life. And oh, that you would take that Psalm 63 and do more than just store it in your head. That God would bless you to pray that prayer to Him. That God would bless you to hunger for that for Him because then you would have the blessing that Brother Thomas taught of drawing near to God. Oh, you would cry out to God, Oh God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. You're the first thing in my life that I will seek. Because Thy loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise Thee. Thus I will, will I bless Thee while I live. And you would lift up your hands in His name. 
You would be as the suppliant. You would be as this woman who fell at his feet. You would lift up your hands to God. You would cry out on your great need to God. You would call upon Him every day of your life because you recognize that even though you may not owe but 50 pence, you have nothing with which to pay. Because all men by nature are spiritually bankrupt and unable to present anything before the presence of God that will appease His awful wrath. Whether it's the life of a prostitute or the life of the kinds of things that you and I struggle with every day of our lives. And so, there's this perspective. Your need my friend, is just as great as the prostitute, as the wife beater, as the gambler, the drunkard, the ne'er-do-well, whoever he may be. Your need is, in the final analysis, just as great. It may not be such a large debt in, in man's eyes, but it's a debt that you can't pay. It's a debt you could never pay if you did your very best as long as you lived here in this world. So what do you and I need to do? Ah, oh, my friend, we need to find this this place in life which to the eye of flesh is despicable. This woman weeping on Jesus' dirty feet, wiping His feet with the hairs of her head, kissing His feet, rubbing His feet with perfume, how despicable, how disgusting, how gross. So the Pharisee would say, but all, oh, it was a pleasant place to be because she heard these words from the lips of the Master. Woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Because you have believed, because you have loved, it is, the, it is the great evidence that your sins are forgiven. So for Jesus to say your sins are forgiven was, was in some sense an afterthought. They were indeed forgiven because she loved much. And oh, that God would bless us to be that way towards the Lord every day of our lives. No wonder the Apostle Paul could glory in the thought of being a fool for Christ. That he would act in a way that would look like foolishness to the world that would appear despicable to the world. But oh, may God bless you and me every day of our lives to live at the feet of the Master even as this woman did this day when she came to the house of the Pharisee. And so may it be that we hear the words, the blessed words, all oh, these most blessed of words of the Lord Jesus Christ, thy sins are forgiven. Because we may not have done the notorious things and we may have even done them in our former day but all the sins with which you and I struggle every day of our lives are enough to damn us to a thousand hells and we have naught with which to pay. You've got nothing to pay. There's nothing in your hands. No wonder the, the hymn writer could sing with honesty, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. We would not bring our works before God because the best of them are tainted. We would certainly not want our, our worst sins and thoughts to be exposed because they condemn us, even ourselves. And so we think on the other sermon that Brother Thomas preached from 
Mark, I think it is chapter 8, about the Syrophoenician woman to whom Jesus said, Madam, it's not proper to give the children's bread to dogs. Truth, Lord, she said. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Woman, he said, that is great faith. Be it unto you as you desire. And her daughter was made well. You know, I kind of envisioned along the way. What would it be for Anne Marie to just be suddenly well? Just snap, something clicked, something whatever. And and I had a normal eight-year-old child. And I think, what what would I do to have such such a thing? Would I not Would I not grovel at some doctor's feet? Would I not sell everything that I had to buy some medicine to to do whatever? Surely I would. And that woman had a great need. And she came. But oh, this woman has a worse need than the Syrophoenician woman who only has a daughter that she loves great as that is, this woman knew that she had a sin debt she could never pay. And no doubt she had heard gracious words from the lips of the Savior about forgiveness of sin. Such as He said to the woman taken in adultery when He looked up and all of her accusers were gone. She said, woman, does no man condemn thee? She said, no man, Lord. Neither do I condemn thee, he said. Go and sin no more. I'm giving you a fresh start. Go and sin no more. Oh, my friends, if you and I could just feel ourselves to be where we truly are in this woman's place, though we may only only owe the 50 as opposed to the 500, Oh, if we could feel ourselves to be at the feet of Jesus every day of our lives, to love Him, to hunger for Him, to long for Him, for His fellowship, for the sweetness of His nearness to us, oh, what a pleasant place that would truly be when we hear from the gracious words of the Savior, Thy sins are forgiven thee. Your faith has saved thee. Go, sin no more. Live a new life, a holy life. And yet, what we recognize every day of our lives is this is not just a one-time occurrence that we need. you and I need to daily fall at the feet of the Savior, plead for His mercy, beg for His help, call upon Him to, to help us to live holy, righteously, and soberly in this godless generation in which we live. This correlation between love and service. Jesus drew clearly. In John. 
chapter 21 when he came to Simon Peter, another Simon. And he said, he said, Simon, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? I think pointing to the fish. Do you love me more than these? Oh, yes, Lord, you know I love you. The second time, he said, then feed my sheep. Second time, Simon, do, do you love me? Lord, yes, I, I love you. He said, feed my lamb. Third time, Jesus said, Simon, do, do you love me? Oh, he said, Peter was grieved that Jesus would ask the third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now that was his commission. And in some sense that's mine. But it may not be exactly yours. But whatever yours is, I would ask you to say, do you love him? Do you love Jesus? Then serve him where you are. Do what God's called on you to do. Love, forgive, help, strengthen. All of the things that we're called upon. Don't be a prostitute. Don't gamble. Don't beat your wife. Don't all these notorious things, certainly, but all these other things. Do you do you love him? Just think on. Meditate on. Long to draw near to him. Hungry to live at his feet every every day of your life. Our Heavenly Father, we are, we are humbled by this, this lesson we find in the Scriptures. Because, Lord, you know that in, in some ways and at some times we, we may be somehow proud of the fact that we don't owe 500 pence. The Lord help us to see how we're in basically the same boat owing this 50 because we have not a farthing with which to pay. No ability. Nothing in ourselves. Indeed, Lord, nothing in our hands we bring. Simply to Thy cross I cling. And so, Lord, we would love You more. Ah, oh, we would love You more. We would love You better. We would live our lives as this woman did this day, the feet of the Master, washing them with our tears, bathing them with the best that we have, knowing that if ever we stand before a holy God, just and righteous, it'll be because of Him and what He did for us, not because of what we did for Him. And so, Lord, I pray that even memorizing Psalm 63 would be a sweet view, a pleasure for us to think on a little portion of Scripture, to try to draw nearer to You, to the sweet feet of the Savior. In Jesus' name we ask. Thank you for listening to the To Faithful Men podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. Also, if this podcast has been a blessing to you, please share it with others and help our ratings by giving us five stars 
and writing a review within your podcast app. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Mm-hmm.